It's May Day, also known as International Workers' Day. Do you know the Chicago history behind it? Well, back in late April 1886, workers in our city began to go on strike. They were calling for safer working conditions in an eight-hour workday. Now, on May 1st, 35,000 people took to the streets, with many more joining in the days that followed. On May 4th, in Chicago's Haymarket Square on the near west side, police and protesters, they clashed. One person threw dynamite, and in the end, seven officers and at least four civilians were dead. What's now known as the Haymarket Affair or the Haymarket Massacre that became a major turning point in the push for workers' rights around the globe. So here to share more of that history is Paul Derica, Director of Exhibitions at the Chicago History Museum. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Sasha. Uh, happy May Day. Happy May Day. We're also joined by Miles Kemp-Lassen, web editor at the progressive political magazine In These Times. Hey, Miles, good to see you. Hi, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. I'll start with you, Paul. Can you take us back to April 1886? What was Chicago like back then? Yes. So, you know, in the late 1880s, Chicago was by and large a city of immigrants. And it was also a city that was growing by leaps and bounds because of all the industries that were based here that depended largely on that immigrant labor. So what we're talking about is a lot of heavy manufacturing and people working anywhere from 12 to 15 hours a day, um, six days a week, at wages that barely sustain them, um, and with none of the kind of like things that we take as givens today, like... Um, a weekend or any kind of worker safety laws or any kind of health care or retirement plans or, or anything like that. Mm. Anything to add, Miles? Yeah, I would say that this was a time when poverty was endemic. Um, you know, this was a time of the slaughterhouses and stockyards, uh, the type of conditions that Upton Sinclair wrote about in his uh, classic book, The Jungle, which was set in Chicago um, around that time. And it was under these conditions that a real powerful labor movement arose, and it brought together uh, immigrants and workers from all backgrounds um, to protest these conditions because at the same time you had a new class of uh, business owners that was gaining wealth off of new technology and new economic arrangements. Um, and so the labor movement that came together was seeking to get basic protections for working people um, the basic elements of a dignified life um, in, in America. Mm -hmm. And that's the real uh, spark that gave rise to uh, what became May Day and International Workers' Day. Yeah, uh, so so things were, were brewing you know, back then, for sure. Before the Haymarket Affair, uh, the eight-hour workday had been discussed for about, what, 20 years in the U.S., but it still wasn't in effect. Is that right, Miles? Yeah, so it was actually on the books uh, as of the 1860s. However, there was a complete lack of enforcement, both by government and business owners. And that's the cause for um, the big uh, march and general strike on May 1st of 1886 was to demand enforcement of the eight-hour workday. It ultimately took, you know, until 1938 and the New Deal and the Fair Labor Standards mm, okay. Act for the eight-hour workday to be legislated on a federal level. So it was a long fight, but um, there were massive gains made in between then because of the work of workers. And and honestly, that is what brought together the sense of that a labor movement can win real gains for um, for working people. So even though it wasn't won immediately on May 1st, 1886, mm -hmm. that helped to um, bring together people that um, believed that workers banding together could actually change the conditions of their lives. I see. And, and Paul, historians, from what I understand, don't all agree about the events that took place during the Haymarket Affair. 
what parts do you consider to be widely accepted and what's more so up in the air? So the, what's widely accepted is more or less what unfolded in that evening. So, I mean, we have a pretty clear picture of how it went from, you know, a fairly orderly peaceful demonstration to the violence that then ensued, uh, where there's a lot of disagreement um, among historians as one who was that person there on that night, May 4th, 1886, who threw that bomb into the crowd mm-hmm. of police? And then secondly, you know, how are we to interpret or understand this event and, and what followed, and particularly to those who were involved in kind of organizing it, the, the subsequent trial, and then the execution of many of them, and then the eventual pardoning of, of the three who were incarcerated. So there, it still remains you know, a kind of contested historical narrative. Um, I think a lot of people looking, particularly at, at the trial, kind of agree with the later governor of Illinois, Altgeld, who issued the pardon in 1893, that it really was a miscarriage of justice. But mm-hmm. there are some historians, uh, particularly who recently have argued that by the standards of the time, uh, the eight men received a, a fair trial. Now, at the time, demonstrators were were prosecuted as anarchists and and labor leaders from around the city were were gathered and they were jailed. What statement did they make in the aftermath of the affair, Paul? And and what did officials say at the time? So are you talking about the the labor organizers or the the police? Um, You know, at the time, I mean, I think... You know, people who are involved in the anarchist and socialist and, and communist movements and even more stream, mainstream labor groups in, in Chicago were pretty adamant about it being a peaceful demonstration, that they had a constitutional right to assemble um, and, and to air grievances, and also that the three speakers who um, were there that night were exercising their First Amendment rights in, in terms of what they were expressing. And they weren't inciting the crowd to any violent acts. Mm -hmm. And so that was the position that labor took, that, you know, if you can hold people for what they do, hold them responsible, pardon me, for what they do, but we have a right to to say what we believe in. Um, The police took a very different approach, as did the state as a whole. And so they really believed um, or or tried to make the case that there was some sort of active conspiracy that had occurred um, as this event was being planned and that the violence that ensued was always intended and and that the speakers that night actually you know provoked whoever that person was in the crowd who had the bomb to to throw it. Miles, what do you think accountability should have looked like? Well, at this time, um, you know, as uh the governor at the time Altgeld who uh later pardoned the uh, Haymarket defendants said that it was, in, in fact, a travesty of justice. The trial was um, initially only two of the individuals that were um, charged were even there at the night of the Haymarket affair. And the prosecution made the case that um, these individuals should be prosecuted because they were representatives of a dangerous political ideology, not because they were took part in actively committing a crime. And the jury itself was you know, stacked with business owners that were opposed to the labor movement. And so um, there's a reason that uh, we now look back and around the world, especially these are looked at martyrs who died fighting for basic protections for workers. Albert Parsons, one of the individuals who was uh, put to death by the state, he was a journalist and a writer who sounded the alarm on some of these terrible conditions that 
um, poor people were facing across the, the country, and especially in Chicago. And his wife, Lucy Gonzalez Parsons, actually fought for a new trial and to overturn the conviction. Mm. And ultimately, um, these calls were deemed to be valid. And that's how the historical record really looks at this as, as a, a miscarriage. Um, and that's why May Day has been taken up across the globe as a holiday commemorating um, the actions of those who fought, not just um, on May 4th, 1886, but throughout that period to make basic gains that um, we now take for granted all of the things, as, as we said, the weekend child labor laws, racial and gender equity in the workplace. These were all won through collective struggle for economic justice. And I think that's why when we look back at this period, uh, it's important to take into account the history from the worker's point of view, as well as that was written into the history books at the time. Yeah. Well, let's hear a little bit from a, a 2003 docu- uh, documentary from PBS on the Haymarket affair. After Haymarket, the city went crazy. This is a real red hunt, and it's the first American red hunt. They know that everyone they're rounding up is not an anarchist. They're rounding up labor agitators. They're out to crush the labor movement, which is the threat here, more than the anarchists. They can handle them. They can hang them and shoot them. In many ways, this is, for them, an opportunity. They can paint them with the brush of anarchism and go after them like that. So, Paul, that was uh, historian Donald L. Miller. Talk about the effect this red hunt had after the events uh, at Haymarket. The immediate effect was that it really sort of set back the labor movement temporarily um, for the very reasons that were just expressed there. Um, while the police rounded up you know, various anarchists and socialists and communists uh, in the city, And law enforcement across the country responded similarly. And then you had the courts trying many of these people. Um, What it ultimately accomplished was slowing down some of the the things that workers were pushing for, in particular, the eight-hour day. Um, But what I want to point out is that people didn't give up. um, And we've kind of heard the sort of results of their efforts. And, you know, Miles just mentioned Lucy Parsons, and I think she's a very emblematic figure and and someone to keep in mind. So even after the execution of her husband, she doesn't stay silent. Mm -hmm. She continues to organize here in Chicago. She travels across the country. She helps pioneer new ways of organizing, such as the sit-down strike. And she is active all the way, you know, from that time, the 1880s, up until her death in, in the early 1940s. In her 90s, you know, she's still pushing for change. And, and so I think the immediate effect was to, to sort of slow down and, and kind of, you know, reduce the push for, for social change and, and certainly get public opinion against it. But ultimately, you know, people endured and, and they were able to kind of produce the present that we live in today. I see. Well, let's let's jump to today and and talk about where this event is, is celebrated, Miles. I mean, what what do May Day celebrations look like first of all around the globe? Sure. So, in a uh, far different way than the United States where May Day is considered law day, um actually in the 1950s in the wake of World War II, um President Eisenhower implemented May 1st as Law and Order Day, as a day to celebrate patriotism. And this was largely in response to 
um, the rise of Soviet communism and the Cold War at the time in a way to really strip any sense of solidarity from American workers with their counterparts abroad. Law Day is still on the books here. Across the world, it couldn't be more different. You look around at countries across Europe, um, Latin America, uh, as far flung as South Africa and Cuba, May Day is a national holiday, mm. and it's celebrated with you know marches, parades, revelry. Uh, much of it is uh, combined with kind of the spring rites and spring holidays, the changing of the seasons. So why don't we celebrate it on such a wide scale here, at least in the U.S. and Chicago specifically? Well, there has been a real motivated effort to try to have the public forget this history, and instead we celebrate Labor Day here, right in the uh, in September. And, but again, Labor Day is considered a day of like service and patriotism, rather than something to celebrate the real sense of collective struggle that was behind um, the movement that has won us the gains that we take for granted now, all of the progressive gains of the past century. Um, And so because of that, we have forgotten that history largely. That said, there is an effort underway now in towns, cities, municipalities across the country to reclaim the legacy of May Day. And in fact, just this past week at the Cook County level here in uh, Chicago, Uh, Anthony Quazada, who's the 8th District Commissioner, he presented and passed a resolution to rec- officially recognize May 1st as International Workers' Day on the nice. county level. And he was joined by Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa, the alderman of the 35th Ward, um, who actually in his ward and by the Logan Square Blue Line, you can see there's a 100 percent affordable housing complex that's been named the Lucy Gonzalez Apartment uh, uh, complex. So, you know, the echoes of this history still and the fight for workers' justice, they do still ring through our current political moment. And quickly, Miles, there's a demonstration happening right now, I understand. Yeah, Is that right? exactly. So um, it's become among labor groups and, you know, organizers, May Day is still considered an important day in Chicago history. So we shouldn't say it's been completely forgotten. On Saturday, there was a march out of Union Park for labor rights that was um, backed by the Chicago Teachers Union mm-hmm. and SEIU. Today, there's another uh, march out of Union Square, out of Union Park that I believe is going on right now. Yeah. Um, and that combines the fight for workers' rights with immigrants' rights. And those two have been intimately connected for many years. Back in 2006, there was a massive rally here that saw over half a million people on the streets demanding um, a pathway to citizenship and an end to deportations. So, you know, very much we still see that May Day is alive and well, in, especially here in Chicago, but across the country. We'll leave it there. That's Miles Kampflas and web editor at In These Times magazine and Paul DiRico, director of exhibitions at Chicago History Museum. Thank you both. Thank you. We're brave and gallant minor boys who work in underground. For courage and good nature, no finer can be found. We work both late and early and get but little pay.